0: Oh, praise the one. Thank you, Steve and worship team. Such a beautiful message. I find myself with all the things that have been changing around us, right? Our our building's changing. We've moved sides. Our sails have been taken down to be washed. And it looks sad and kind of like a warehouse. And that's not even considering all the huge changes that have taken place, changes with how COVID has disrupted our larger community and our smaller community here at Wellspring. In ways that the loss of Beverly Vallejo-Sanderson, the pastor's wife of one of our founding pastors and a dearly beloved member of our community, there's been a lot of change. And so right now, wherever you are, however you're feeling, just know that God sees you right where you are. And God is here with the love that never changes and never goes away. So we can praise That one, Jesus, the one who is here for you even right now. It was a cold and blistery January afternoon, and although flight after flight had been delayed, um, his plane, he was happy to inform his passengers and crew, was running on time. They were just taking off from LaGuardia Airport, headed for Charlotte, North Carolina, just a few minutes in the air when suddenly a whole flock of Canadian geese hit the plane. Immediately, both engines were knocked out. At a lower altitude than any other jet in history, Captain Sully and his crew had only 208 seconds to find a way to save everyone on board flight 1529, as their plane began falling out of the sky. This is like literally my worst nightmare. And worse still, it's a true story. Ah! Yes, if you were old enough to be reading the newspaper or watching news or late night television 12 years ago, you might remember this story of Captain Sully Sullenberger. He pulled up this unimaginable, amazing, forced water landing on the Hudson River. I mean, I would call it a plane crash, but he called it a forced water landing. And there's two pictures of it landing right now that I'm going to try to pull on the screen. Um, the first one is of the plane descending. It's that white in that white circle. I mean, this is New York City. I mean, I can just imagine what people were feeling as they saw a plane descending closer to them. Here he is getting closer to the Hudson. It's an actual picture. This is the plane. After it landed on the water, it's floating. It's floating. People are being rescued. Um, Dan and I are behind on our moving watching list. So we didn't actually get to watch the movie that sort of dramatizes the events before and then after this. Um, We didn't get to watch it until this week, even though the movie came out five years ago. It's called Sully. And Tom Hanks is in it. It's a really lovely film. If you have free time this week and want to be inspired, I do recommend this. And the movie made me want to learn a little bit more about the, the real-life events that happen behind it. And so I started reading some news articles, and some of these headlines caught my attention that I wanted to share with you. One of them is, miracle on the Hudson. Splash landing saves all 155 aboard jet. There's two wings and a prayer. That's kind of creative. I like it. How the pilots save them all. And then um, the Chicago Sun-Times is just like simple, Miracle. And then, I don't know if you can see on there, I can barely see it from here, but there's this tagline that just made me chuckle. And it said, I would have doubled up on the pants. <laughs> they wish they had doubled up on their pants, had they known. And I know they're saying that because it was freezing cold in the water, but my mind went elsewhere. <laughs> I would need to double up on my pants if I had been in a crash landing in the water. And then there was this headline that sort of took my breath away. Flight 1549, saving 155 souls in minutes. Saving 155 souls. As you might imagine, Captain Sully was immediately lauded as a hero around the world. He went from living this self-described anonymous life to suddenly being known kind of globally just in a matter of minutes. And that's kind of amazing, because this is without TikTok, right? There was no TikTok back then. Captain Sully, yes, he was a hero. And he continues to lead well as he writes, as he inspires people in other fields, including the medical field, towards excellence. And he's enjoyed the friendship of multiple presidents on both sides of the aisle. I I really like this guy. I've been interested in reading about him. But it also made me think, made me remember, how 2,000 years ago, the actions of one person saved not just 155 souls, but rather his dramatic rescue resulted in the savings of hundreds of millions of souls and counting. From this event, he was lifted from relative obscurity in the occupied Middle East. to become a global household name. Nowadays, people who don't even know him use his name when they're surprised or upset. Jesus Christ. And the matter of his death, the manner of his death, crucifixion, is now so part of our everyday life that we even wear as symbols the instrument of his death, the cross. Can you imagine if we did that with any other symbol of death? Like, an electric chair, or a firing squad, a hangman's noose, a lynching tree? We can hold up Captain Sully as a hero. He reminded me though of the best hero you and I have, Jesus, the one who doesn't just serve as an exemplar, someone for us to look up to, but someone who also stands in our place, who rescues not just out of an ideal for excellence or to do his duty, but rescues out of deep love for even the enemy and especially the outsider. At the heart of Jesus' rescue of God's sinful creation is Jesus' cross. The pastor and professor, Bonhoeffer, um, when stuck in a German prison prison during World War II um, for speaking up against the evils of the regime of his day, he wrote on the subject, who is Christ for us today? What is this person who lived thousands of years ago have to say for us in this moment now. And over the next weeks of Wellspring Summer Series, which begins today, we're gonna be going and asking the question, a similar question. What does Jesus' death on the cross, thousands of years ago, have to do with us today? What does the cross have to do with me? So through August, that's a number of weeks, We're going to be going through Fleming Rutledge's book, can barely say her name, um, award-winning book, The Crucifixion, Understanding the Death of Jesus Christ. It's a really um, well-reviewed book. Um, People, Christians in many different circles who don't normally get along love this book. And it's been heralded as the most significant writings on the cross since John Stott's book, The Cross of Christ. It's a book written from faith for faith. I love that not only is she a theologian, but she's also a pastor. So it made it a little easier for me to read because it got a little, little hard, hard to read in some parts of it. So over the next few weeks through August, we're going to be asking questions each week like, Why did Christ have to die for us? Who, to whom was the offering made? what did his sacrifice achieve why why should it even be necessary for god's son to die such a horrible death couldn't god just fix things without the cross why did jesus descend into hell and why don't we ever talk about how he preached to the ungodly there what does that mean Why are there so many biblical themes around the cross? How do we live and learn from them? How do they change and challenge us? How do they relate together? Oh my goodness, that's just some of the questions. So many questions. The good news is we have a couple months to go through them. And I hope we get a touch on them all as well as many others over these next few months. We welcome your questions as well for us to wrestle with together as we live and learn from the cross of Jesus Christ. So with that in mind, I want to get us right into the text to see what God has for us today. And our, our text today is from the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, verse 18. I'm going to read it right now. Oh, and our series title is called Cruciformed. It comes from the word cruciform, which means cross-shaped. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. 1 Corinthians 1, 18 says this. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For the message of the cross, I'm going to read one more time, is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. This, my friends, is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, for some context, Remember the the Apostle Paul is writing a letter here to the church in Corinth, a church who's deeply divided into factions about what kind of Christian leader they wanted to follow. Some of them were saying, I follow Paul. Others of them were like, I follow Apollos." Apollos is a really great speaker, a little more flashy than Paul. Paul wrote some pretty scathing letters, but in person he was kind of a mild guy. I think he was an Enneagram 9. Love Enneagram 9s. They're Oh, I shouldn't say they're my favorite. I married one. Let me just say, he's my favorite. So I think he's a mild guy in person, but Apollos is really dynamic in person. So some people are like, I follow Paul. Some people are like, I follow Apollos. Other people are like, I follow Petros. That's Peter. He's one of the disciples of Jesus. I follow Peter. And still, there was another group that was a little high and mighty. And I think I would be in this group. This is a group that says, well, I follow Christ. (laughs) Oh. Now, Paul can get really sarcastic, and he gets a little sarcastic here. He's like, mm-hmm, you do? Well, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in a minor I mean, he, he's upset here, and he gets a little, a little sarcastic. Um, he's very human. I love him. Paul makes it clear that his goal wasn't to do anything else. It wasn't to to, to build up a following for himself. His goal was to do one thing when he was with them, and that was preach the gospel. This is what he says in verse 17, the verse right before ours. And then in case you're wondering what the gospel is, verse 18 mentions the message of the cross. I want you to hold that in your mind for a second, the message of the cross, because we're going to get to that. There's a side note that's just too good to pass up. I want to follow it for a second. I love how even though the church was really divided about what leader they liked more, Paul made it really clear that he doesn't pit leaders against other leaders. It's really like emotionally healthy of him. Later on, he says, you might be split, but all of us are proclaiming Christ crucified. When he said that he wasn't just talking about him and Sosthenes, his co-sender, because actually he wasn't writing the letter alone, he was writing with another person. Paul was including Apollos and Peter and everyone else who's preaching. He said, we might look different, we might go about this different ways, and yet each one of us is preaching Christ crucified. I love that about Paul. He's trying to let them see their deeper connection now as we look into just our little verse for today it's a short verse there's actually a lot a lot in it and i wanted to start at the end of the verse instead of at the beginning so instead of us not having like a one two three progression in our sermon notes we're actually going to count down this week we're going to do three two one is that okay so we're going to start with number three in your notes jesus's cross number three in your notes has the power of god to shape your life and our world Jesus' cross has the power of God to shape your life in our world. If you can look at the text in front of you, it says, to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. This means that the cross isn't just something that Jesus went through a really long time ago and then he moved on to like bigger and better things. This tells us that there's something in the cross of Jesus that continues to be a living reality, that continues to have power for us today. It's something to be experienced again and again by those of us who are being saved. Those of us who are growing in God. Those of us who are going closer to the new creation God is making that will one day be a complete reality. It's not here yet. So we are in this process of being saved. So this cross, It is primary to our faith. It's living and dynamic. All four Gospels, they make the cross the high point of their stories. For Matthew, where kingship is such a big theme throughout his book, he actually structures his book so that Jesus is coronated as king on the cross. It's the high point because they knew there is power there. The Apostle Paul told the church in Corinth, just in the next chapter, he reminded them that during the entire 18 months he was there with them, the book of Acts tells us he was there 18 months, the entire time he was there with them, he didn't want to teach anything, he didn't want to know anything other than Christ and Christ crucified. He's like, this is a big deal. We're going to be here looking at the cross, learning from the cross, listening to the cross of Jesus. Because Paul knew the cross of Jesus his power to transform our human existence, his power to shape our destiny. And friends, today the cross of Jesus has power to transform your life, your parenting or grandparenting, your uh, working in your field, as your job, your job searching, your relationships. The cross of Jesus has power to transform every single aspect Of your and my life. I'm reminded of the story of Father Oscar Romero. And when I think about what it means to live a life that's shaped by the power of the cross, that's shaped um, this cruciform in nature, I think of Father Oscar Romero. And he's a Catholic priest who was appointed Archbishop at a time in El Salvador that his country was going through a lot of conflict. There's a lot of violence and pain. And the dictatorship, the government was supporting the disappearance and torture of pretty much anyone who disagreed with their repressive policies. And the indigenous people and the poor were particularly vulnerable. They were being preyed on in really violent and demeaning ways. And priests who dared to stand up and say, hey, this is my congregation. Don't treat them this way. um, They were harassed and jailed. Now, those in power thought that Oscar Romero would be like a really good choice to be archbishop for the time because he was this kind of bookish, academic man, and they thought, oh good, he won't ruffle too many feathers, he'll just like be in the study reading his books, that'll be great, he won't give us any trouble. Until the day happened that his good friend, Father Rutilio, who was a priest working in a poor rural farming community. He was bringing people into small groups to study scripture and be discipled. He was speaking up for the security forces that were going around and torturing people and taking their lands. And one day he was murdered by these security forces for who he was and what he was doing. Something seemed to shift in Oscar Romero when his friend died. And at his friend's funeral, he prayed this, may the blood so sourfully shed signify a fruitful wellspring that continues to bear fruit. May this blood be a wellspring that bears fruit. I'm like, how did Oscar Romero, like, how did he do that? How could he see this out of his friend's life? How did it provoke such a response in him? And it's because he saw through his friends' offering of his life, through his friend's blood spilled on the ground, he saw Christ's cross. The blood of Christ as the ultimate wellspring from which all life and all power to transform and renew flows. In this new rootedness at the cross, Romero found his voice and began to preach the gospel as he had never had. He no longer hid in books. He began denouncing the killings and the torture and the disappearances of community leaders. Suddenly, when he celebrated mass, instead of serving the elite people communion, separately so they didn't have to mix with the poor. He made them all come to communion together, one big family of God. People didn't like that. We continue to serve all of God's people who surged to church as never before, a revival of sorts, as a shepherd according to the heart of Jesus until the day he was gunned down by government security forces who killed him as he served communion, as he held up the body of Christ. He was killed. Since then, Oscar Romero has been canonized as a martyr and a saint by the Catholic Church. Uh, here's a picture of him smiling. He's one of my favorites. A wonderful uh, leader in the cloud of witnesses that surround us. And many people see today his cruciform legacy, his cross-shaped life, is still having power to bring the deeply divided and violent torn country of El Salvador together, and I hope that it can happen. His testimony, and ultimately the testimony of the crucified one, can bring healing in a way that seems impossible, because friends, there's power in the way of the cross. Over the millennia, it has turned enemies into allies and friends. It has turned passive observers into people deeply engaged and rooted with the goodness of God at work in our world. The power of the cross continues to flow today, disrupting cycles of poverty and violence, family systems reshaping, breaking our addictions. And the cross of Jesus has power for you, friends. Wherever you need the power of God in your life today, the cross, the cross is enough. Let's look at the middle of the verse now. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Foolishness to those who are perishing. Now the phrase there, those who are perishing, this phrase could sum up the normal trajectory of our world. I don't know if you've ever heard it said that pretty much from the moment you're born, you begin dying. <laughs> Have you heard that? It's so depressing. I'm like, no, it's not. Your brain is still growing. What, you don't start dying until, what, you're in your 20s? I don't know. Pick a date, whatever, whatever year you want. But we are slowly perishing, right? This is just the normal trajectory of our life. And to those caught in the, current, in the, the natural trajectory of the world, the message of the cross does sound like foolishness. Now, our English word, foolishness, here, doesn't quite convey the scandalous nature of this word in the Greek. It refers to something vulgar, like if I used a really bad word and we all felt a little ashamed together. In Roman society, they would never use the word, the C word, because it was something you didn't ever speak about. It was at least not in polite company. It was so scandalous. So dehumanizing, there was a taint to it. The fact that then the cross of Jesus is also the power of God, what? This is the way God works in the world. It was simply too scandalous. It was too strange. It was too preposterous to them in their time. And I'm thinking about for our time, even though the cross has lost a little bit of its scandal, right, we don't feel it the same way. We say the word all the time. Even though there's other words in our English language we would never say, right, because it would bring a sense of shame sense of horror to us. Still, Jesus' cross is preposterous to our popular assumptions about success and suffering. So, Counting down number two in your notes, Jesus' cross is preposterous to popular assumptions about success and suffering. It's God's power and it also sounds a bit preposterous. Now, if you were to think with me for a couple minutes about most of the religions in the world. Most of them exist to reduce or eliminate suffering. If not in this life, then the next life. Think about some of the Earth's major religions, like Islam, it doesn't have place for crucified Christ. You know, the fourth truth of Buddhism teaches that there's a way to overcome and opt out of all the endless cycles of suffering. There, there's an eightfold path. You can skip suffering forever and ever. You know, uh, some, 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 some sections like Job is Witness um, not quite Christian, but they, they can't picture Jesus on a cross. You know, they can't even make renditions of the cross because it's just too scandalous. You can't picture God on the cross, excuse me, you can you picture Jesus. Right? There's no space for a God who cares so much, who is so invested that God willingly suffers on behalf of. There's no space for this in most of the world's religions. The crucified God, too, doesn't really fit our secular imagination. It doesn't fit our secular idea of what success is. Like if you were to ask a bunch of high school seniors who are graduating or a bunch of um, kids graduating from college and you were to ask them, so what does success look like to you? I don't think any of them would say, "Mm, death on a cross. It is completely contrary to everything we've been told, everything we've been taught. It is not the trajectory we want to go, right? That's down. We want to go up. That's not the American dream. That's not upward mobility. And to think of God, who is by definition the most successful being ever, God actually taking this downward path, that there's no space for that in our understanding. And see, when other gods run away from suffering, our God goes into the heart of the hurricane to undo its power in our lives. And then God invites us to enter the suffering of the world, enter the suffering places in our own hearts so it can be transformed. No wonder Paul called the message of the cross a scandal. It's very contrary to the way most of us think about life and we've been trained to think about life. And friends, if you're listening today, And the cross does sound kind of foolish. It sounds preposterous. But it also sounds like a beautiful foolishness. Know that this God is here for you. This God loves you extravagantly, no matter what you've done or left undone. And this God has taken and will take all the steps in the world to be near to rescue you. Jesus' cross has power for you today. Allow yourself to be pulled in to the trajectory of those who are being saved. Allow yourself to be pulled away from the natural order of things, that's perishing, and towards ways with God and others that are life-giving, where God is for you and you are for God's world. You can pray something simple if you want to sort of shift gears from this way this way. You can pray something simple like, Jesus, I've been caught in the grip of cycles that aren't whole and healthy. I believe you suffered and died for even me. Come into my life and be the power over me. In Jesus' name. you prayed a prayer like that, please let us know. We'd love to celebrate with you and walk along with you as you learn more what it is to be walking with God. So now, counting down, right? We've done number one, we've done number three, we've done number two, and let's go to number one in your notes. Jesus' cross carries an ongoing message still preaching today. Right, we have Jesus cross as the power of God. Jesus cross is um, preposterous to our popular assumptions, and the cross carries an ongoing message still preaching today. Yes, I was inspired by Pastor Dan last week. All of his points started with T R. You notice I couldn't quite do that. Like all the points start with something different, but I have P's in the blank. Thank you, Pastor Dan. I'm gonna have to have him work on my outlines. He'll make them really memorable. Jesus' cross carries an ongoing message still preaching today. Let's look at our text. Oh, I don't have our text there. So I'm gonna have you look at it in your notes and I'll read it out loud to you. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So do you hear that phrase, the message of the cross? Okay, let's explore that for just a minute. What is the message on the cross? Is it like a message in a bottle? Is it like a bumper sticker or maybe a message on a magnet that you can put on your fridge, right? The word message in our English doesn't really convey the fullness of what this word conveys in the Greek. And this is actually where I like the King James Version translation a little better, which I almost never say, so I'm just saying it here. The King James Version translates this as the preaching of the cross. And I love that. It's this idea that the cross has discourse. It has something to say to us that can't just be narrowed down or, or put on a bumper sticker. And you know, when you look at the life of Paul, Paul spent decades thinking about the message of the cross, teasing out what it meant for him and for their community, figuring out all the… All, trying to give voice to the many layers of it because it's thick, it's not thin. And just when you think you've arrived at it, you realize that the cross, Jesus' cross is still speaking. The message of the cross isn't limited or something small like you can put around your neck. Japanese-American theologian Kosuke Koyama says this. He said, Jesus Christ is not a quick answer. If Jesus Christ is the answer, which he goes on to say he is, he is the answer in the way portrayed by crucifixion. Did you get that? If he's the answer, he's the answer in what we see on the cross. So the preaching from Jesus' cross, it is not a short message or a quick preaching. It's not passive, but it's active, so it carries with it power to transform. Even if you think about the first Resurrection Sunday, remember Jesus is walking along the road to Emmaus with the two friends, this couple, and he's explaining to them some of the message of the cross. This shows that the cross requires explanation. It's not self-explanatory, and we will never arrive at the full meaning of it. I find it interesting too that the early church, they wanted to nail these different doctrines down like what is the trinity, how does it work, what is our canon of scripture, we need to figure out what we communally discern the Bible to be, but you know they did not arrive at a communally discerned um, statement on exactly what the cross is. They never had a fully developed whole doctrine of the cross because it was too thick, and I love that. It is still speaking today. Are you listening? So over the next few months, we are going to keep a couple principles in mind as we, as we go through what the cross of Jesus means, how we can live from it and learn from it. And um, unfortunately, I did not write these principles down in your notes. So feel free to, to write it down as we go through, or I'll try to post it somewhere, and then we'll try to include it in later weeks so you don't have to remember, because I won't remember. Um, But these are just good things to keep in mind. When we talk about Jesus' cross, let's let scripture interpret other scripture. So there's lots of scriptures about the cross, right, in both Old and New Testaments. We're gonna try to let scripture speak to each other. Kind of like doing um, a really good book reading. I know when Steve teaches his AP English and they're working on, you know, digging out the meaning of the book, you use the whole book. So we're gonna be doing that with scripture. Second of all, keep incarnation and crucifixion together. In other words, don't let the manger and the cross be too far away from each other. Because when we separate those two things out, Jesus as fully God and fully human, and then the cross, we kind of forget that the cross has a lot to say about humanity, about who we are as humans, and has a lot to say about who God is. We need to keep those two things together. The fact that Jesus was a real human, betrayed by a real friend, condemned to die by real religious people, crucified by a real empire. He really rose again. So we want to keep the manger and the cross together. And then we want to keep Jesus' story, number three, attached to Jesus' story. Jesus' cross, excuse me, attached to Jesus' story, part of his story. We keep the cross and the story together. The reason why is a cross without Jesus is something horrific. It can become the cross of empire. It can become Constantine's cross. It can become the cross of crusaders, the cross of the KKK. We need to keep Jesus' cross attached to his story. It's only there that we will find the power of God at work in us. And lastly, last principle to keep in mind as we move over these next couple months we're going to try to interpret the cross and the resurrection through each other's eyes, because it's not like I said earlier. The the cross, you know, Jesus was done with that, and then he moved on to better things. Like he's resurrected, yay! Those two things actually go together. The cross um, makes the resurrection possible, and the resurrection validates the work on the cross. So they both speak to each other. So we're going to try to keep these principles in mind. I know it's a lot today. We will put these on notes for you as we seek to live and learn from the cross, to be people who are cruciformed, these are some things we're gonna keep in mind. I do think it's really fitting that today we are celebrating the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper, we celebrate both death and resurrection, both cross and both Easter Sunday. A little bit later in this book to the Corinthians, um, the Apostle Paul writes that when we take communion, we are celebrating the Lord's death until he comes. He says, this is the way until he comes. And when I read the translation that talked about it being the way until he comes this past week, I kind of, uh, I kind of took note because we've been watching The Mandalorian. The Mandalorian is a fun fun show. We're actually done with all the seasons. We're waiting on a new season to come. It's part of the Star Wars universe, and it features this lone bounty hunter um, who goes on the run after being hired to retrieve the child, which is the baby Yoda-looking-like creature. Not baby Yoda, as my sons will remind me. But in this show, this Mandalorian is part of a greater culture, a culture of people who've been persecuted, who have resisted the empire. And there's this phrase that he uses throughout the show, And it sort of describes some of their values. And it's the phrase, this is the way. So sometimes they'll be going about their business, and there'll be like a conflict, and then one of them will remind the other of their shared values. This is the way. It'll correct them. That's right, this is the way. There'll be another time that they're wondering what to do, and they're reminded, this is the way. Yes, this is our shared values. And friends, when Paul says that remembering Christ's death and resurrection till he comes is the way, It's more than a catchphrase. It's a revelation of a way of being, a way of life. Friends, you and I are invited to live and learn from the cross, to be people whose lives are shaped by the power of God on Jesus' cross. We can work through the things that feel preposterous about it. We can continue to hear its preaching to us because we know God wants to transform us, Bring us on a path of renewal to greater wholeness, to greater effectiveness as people, as human beings who love each other and are loved. Friends, as we take communion, I want to remind you, this is the way. This is the power of God. Amen.
1: this is the Lord's table the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body this is for you do this in remembrance of me and in the same way he took the cup also after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood for as often as you drink this cup and you take this bread do this in remembrance of me and you proclaim the lord's death until he comes
2: So at this time, we will be partaking in that cup and in the bread. And so if you're here in the sanctuary with us, just stay where you are. We'll bring it to you. And if you're at home or elsewhere, this is a time to go and get those elements so that you can participate with us either individually or as a family. And so I'm going to close this in a word of prayer and then... During that time, uh, we'll have some, some uh, minutes where you can just be with that meal and remember what Pastor Rebecca has shared with us today about this story that we tell and how this is the way that we live into that story, both now and until Jesus comes again. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks that there is so much depth and richness to your good news. And we thank you that we can be part of your story by sharing this meal with you in which your body and your blood are given to us to feed us and to share among us. And so I pray that as we do this, simple act that it would connect us with one another and connect us with who you are in your cross which is so powerful even though to the world it is foolishness it is the way and it is the way that you transform us because of who you are and because of that message so we give you thanks for this bread and this cup In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us partake together.